0: Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled The Holy Spirit and the Day of Pentecost Part 1. I am Pastor John welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched self-study people as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome To all our new listeners here for the first time, thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Our year-end episode was on Christmas Day titled, Cry Out and Shout for Joy, posted on December 25th. In that episode, we found in modern times that is an easy thing when your favorite sports team wins a game or match causing great joy, a kind of joy many shout out in the moment. However, when have you ever done that when God has blessed you and or given you an answer to prayer? Notice what Scripture tells us. Cry out and shout for joy, O citizens of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel acts mightily among you. From. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6. We are not Zionists, but does not God act mightily among us today? St. Paul, speaking of the mystery which had been proclaimed among the Gentiles, sums it up in these words. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. From Adam Clark's commentary and critical notes on the Bible. Jesus has done excellent things. The highest and most notable of all is the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary. How he died and rose to life eternal, securing life eternal for those. To find out more, Listen to our previous episode titled, Cry Out and Shout for Joy, from December 25, 2022, episode 52. This week, our study is, The Holy Spirit and the Day of Pentecost, part 1. Our scripture is found in Acts, chapter 2. Our scripture reads, Now when the Day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. From the book of Acts, Chapter 2, verses 1-4. through We can understand better this description of this day of Pentecost. The word Pentecost is a Greek word signifying the fifth part of a thing, or the fifth in order. Among the Jews, it was applied to one of their three great feasts, which began on the fiftieth day after the Passover. This feast was reckoned from the sixth day of the month, Abib, A B I B, or April, or the second day of the Passover. The Pascal lamb was slain on the fourteenth of the month at even. On the fifteenth of the month was a holy convocation. The proper beginning of the feast. On the sixteenth was the offering of the first fruits of harvest, and from that day they were to reckon seven weeks, i.e., 49 days, to the feast called the Feast of Pentecost, so that it occurred fifty days after the first day of the Feast of the Passover. This feast was also called the Feast of Weeks, from the circumstance that it followed a succession of weeks. It was also a harvest festival and was accordingly called the Feast of Harvest. And it was for this reason that two loaves made of new meal were offered on this occasion as first fruits. From Barnes New Testament Notes. Did you understand that? Did it sound like a lot to keep track of? I think for most people today, as Gentiles, the answer to both questions is yes. We should also note the leaning toward Bible prophecy. At the very least, that much should be evident. Do you know the prophecy of 70 weeks that I am reminded of by Barnes' comments? Did you also know, prophetically, that 69 of these 70 weeks have come to fulfillment? Did you know further that the 70th week has been on hold until other prophecy is fulfilled? Did you know that the seven-year tribulation is also called a week? Seven days, seven years is the connection here. Can the tribulation be that last week that is on hold right now? These are just some of the prophetic thoughts found in our Bibles that I am reminded of as we read Barnes' commentary passage. I hope these questions get you curious and searching of the Scriptures this new year. Verse 2 of Acts chapter 2 reads, Suddenly, a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. Notice that this was a sound and not an actual wind blowing. Yet, when the wind blows strong, it makes noise. This is why this verse says, Suddenly, a sound like a violent wind blowing. Notice also, verse 2 says, where this sound came from. It came from heaven. It also filled the entire house where they were sitting. And suddenly it burst upon them at once, though they were waiting for the descent of the Spirit, yet it was not probable that they expected it in this manner. As this was an important event, and one on which the welfare of the Church depended, it was proper that the gift of the Holy Spirit should take place in some striking and sensible manner, so as to convince their own minds that the promise was fulfilled, and so as deeply to impress others with the greatness and importance of the event. From Barnes, New Testament Notes. Notice how out of the box this event was for all present in that day, in that place. Notice what Barnes just told us. Though they were waiting for the descent of the Spirit, yet it is not probable that they expected it in this manner. I think even today, we would not expect the presence of the Holy Spirit in this manner either. Hearing the sound of a violent wind blowing. Today, my description of a violent wind would be caused by either a hurricane or tornado. That would be my first thought of a violent wind blowing. Even in thunderstorms, You can have very strong, even violent winds with violent flashes of lightning and loud thunder. However, I think the best analogy is tied to either a strong hurricane or a tornado. What makes this wind event unique when the Holy Spirit descended in this manner, there was nothing to feel like a strong wind does when pressed upon your skin and body as a whole. You cannot see anything, but you can feel the pressure and hear the sound of it. Yet there was only a sound like a violent wind, because there was no wind at all where they were gathered. The book of Acts is clear this violent wind blowing came from heaven, it also filled the entire house. Where they were sitting. We learn further, appearing to rush down from the sky, it was fitted, therefore, to attract their attention no less from the direction from which it came than on account of its suddenness and violence. Tempests blow commonly horizontally. This appeared to come from above, and this is all that is meant by the expression from heaven. From Barnes' New Testament notes. Remember, all the winds that blow on earth blow sideways or horizontal. However, there are a couple of cases where the same thing happens as in the book of Acts. It is called a downdraft or downburst. A downdraft is a small-scale column of air that rapidly sinks towards the ground. This is much like the description of the Holy Spirit descending on the Apostles. A downburst is the general term used to broadly describe macrobursts and microbursts. Downburst is the general term for all localized strong wind events that are caused by a strong downdraft within a thunderstorm. A microburst simply refers to an especially small downburst that is less than 4 kilometers or 2.5 miles across. This is the closest definition for giving us some idea of what was caused by a sound like a violent wind blowing. Remember, there was no physical wind, only the sound of it. Noting Commentary It does not appear that there was any wind. All might have been still, but the sudden sound was like such a sweeping tempest. It may be remarked, however, that the wind in the sacred scriptures is often put as an emblem of a divine influence. It is invisible, yet mighty, and thus represents the agency of the Holy Spirit. From Barnes' New Testament notes. While a bit lengthy, I hope this clearly establishes the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place where they were gathered verse 3 tells us this event only becomes more impressive and tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them even in the old testament god is noted as being the fire in a burning bush so we can easily conclude that god and the holy spirit uses fire in different ways to signify their presence among his people when he is doing something spectacular through them with regard to our scripture in this place the name tongue is given from the resemblance of a pointed flame to the human tongue anything long narrow and tending to a point is thus in the hebrew called a tongue the word here means, therefore, slender and pointed appearances of flame, perhaps at first moving irregularly around the room. From Barnes' New Testament notes, We learn further, And it sat upon each of them, or rested in the form of a lambent or gentle flame, upon the head of each one. This evinced that the prodigy was directed to them and was a very significant emblem of the promised descent of the Holy Spirit. After the rushing sound and the appearance of the flames, they could not doubt that here was some remarkable interposition of God. The appearance of fire or flame has always been regarded as a most striking emblem of the divinity. Thus, God is said to have manifested himself to Moses in a bush which was burning, yet not consumed. God is said to be a consuming fire. These appearances to the apostles were emblematic, doubtless. 1. Of the promised Holy Spirit, a spirit of purity and power. The prediction of John the Baptist, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, would probably be recalled at once to their memory. Two, the peculiar appearance, that of tongues, was an emblem of the diversity of languages which they were about to be able to utter. Any form of fire would have denoted the presence and power of God, but a form was adopted expressive of the case. Thus, any appearance at the baptism of Jesus might have denoted the presence and approbation of God, but the form chosen was that of a dove descending, expressive. Of the mild and gentle virtues with which he was to be imbued. In the same way, the appearance here expressed their peculiar endowments for entering on their great work, the ability to speak powerfully with new tongues. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. In both Scripture and commentary, we should note that tongues is how a different language was referred to in biblical times. That begs the question, what are these tongues over their heads about? What do they signify, if anything? Are they going to fluently speak in an unfamiliar tongue, or as we say, a different language that others will understand? Can you imagine doing that today? You are an English speaking person and you walk up to anybody in a different country and suddenly you can speak their language. That is what is going on here. We can see that the work being performed here was to demonstrate to the ear and the eye that something extremely profound was happening. Something only God could do. God being the triune presence, he has as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. While all three have their own names signifying their identity, they are also known as three in one, meaning all three individuals can also be summed in the single reference, God. Verse 4 reads, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. This has to be interesting as well as curious. Filled with the Holy Spirit? How does that work? How can a human being be filled with the totally pure and Holy Spirit? Answering these two questions is what has caused many issues in the American churches. It has caused so much trouble that many church authorities have not only called for a full stop and moratorium on such things, but also a complete denial of such things. Many have called this work of the Holy Spirit demonic and thus they will never allow such a move of the Holy Spirit in and among them. This is a dangerous stand to take, considering that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the only sin that causes people to forfeit one's salvation in Christ. Notice these passages. For this reason, I tell you, People will be forgiven for every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. From Matthew, chapter 12, verses 31 through 32. And, I tell you the truth, people will be forgiven for all sins, even all the blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they said, He has an unclean spirit. From Mark chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. Very clearly, not my words, but those in our Bibles. That is real harsh. Accounting to Scripture, it is also a very real fact. Mark demonstrates further why this is an issue. By example, it is an issue to the Holy Spirit being called an unclean spirit, since He clearly is not. This is the only way to seal our eternity in hell. Scripture is clear on that, given what God will, as well as not forgive. Moving forward. Various attempts have been made to account for this remarkable phenomenon without supposing it to be a miracle. But the natural and obvious meaning of the passage is that they were endowed by the miraculous power of the Holy Ghost with ability to speak foreign languages and languages to them before unknown. It does not appear that each one had the power of speaking all the languages which are specified, Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, but that this ability was among them, and that together they could speak these languages. 1. This ability was predicted in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11, with another tongue. Will he speak to his people? 2. It was predicted by the Lord Jesus that they should have this power. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak with new tongues. 3. The ability to do it existed extensively and long in the church. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these works that one and the self-same spirit. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 28. God has set in the church diversities of tongues. From this it appears that the power was well known in the church and was not confined to the apostles. This also may show that, in the case of the Acts, the power was conferred to other members of the church as well as the apostles. 4. It was very important that they should be endowed with this power in their great work. They were going forth To preach to all nations, and though the Greek and Roman tongues were extensively spoken, yet their use was not universal, nor is it known that the apostles were skilled in those languages. To preach to all nations, it was indispensable that they should be able to understand their language, and it was necessary that they should be endowed with ability to speak them without the slow process of being compelled to learn them. 5. One design was to establish the gospel by means of miracles. Yet, no miracle could be more striking than the power of conveying their sentiments at once into all the languages of the earth. When it is remembered what a slow and toilsome process it is to learn a foreign tongue, this would be regarded by the heathen as one of the most striking miracles which were ever wrought in the establishment of the Christian faith. 6. The reality and certainty of this miracle is strongly attested by the early triumphs of the Gospel that the gospel was early spread over all the world, and that, too, by the apostles of Jesus Christ, by men of Galilee, is the clear testimony of all history. They preached it in Arabia, Greece, Syria, Asia, Persia, Africa, and Rome. Yet, how could this have been effected without a miraculous power of speaking the languages used in all those places. Now, it requires the toil of many years to speak in foreign languages, and the recorded success of the gospel is one of the most striking attestations to the fact of the miracle that could be conceived. 7. The corruption of language was one of the most decided effects Of sin, of pride and ambition, and the source of endless embarrassments and difficulties. It is not to be regarded as wonderful if one of the effects of the plan of recovering men should be to show the power of God over all evil, and thus to furnish striking evidence that the gospel could meet all the crimes and calamities of men, and we may add, lastly, eight, that from this we see the necessity now of training men who are to be missionaries to other lands. The gift of miracles is withdrawn. The apostles, by that miracle, simply were empowered to speak other languages. That power must still be had if the gospel is to be preached. But it is now to be obtained not by miracle, but by slow and careful study and toil. If possessed, men must be taught it. They must labor for it. And as the church is bound to send the gospel to all nations, so it is bound to provide that the teachers who shall be sent forth shall be qualified for their work. Hence, one of the reasons of the importance of training men for the holy ministry. From Barnes New Testament Notes Of those eight comments, I will close with this. First, we read, From this it appears that the power was well known in the church and was not confined to the apostles. This also may show that, in the case of the Acts, the power was conferred on other members of the Church as well as the apostles. We need to see that speaking in tongues as well as operating in other endowed gifts of the Holy Spirit were not just for the apostles. Notice what we read from this It appears that the power was well known in the Church and was not confined to the apostles the power of the holy spirit in mankind is not only well known but the gifts of the holy spirit was not confined to the apostles notice further this also may show that in the case of the acts the power was conferred on other members of the church as well as the apostles basically This says the same thing differently. Repetition in the Bible is done when an important subject is to be related without any means of a possible mistake in understanding what is being said and or taught. We notice additionally, To preach to all nations, it was indispensable that they should be able to understand their language and it was necessary that they should be endowed with ability to speak to them without the slow process of being compelled to learn them. Today, the language barrier is very minimal. Our cell phones have the ability to listen to one person and translate into many languages what the listener wants or needs to hear. There is also other translation software that can be found on almost any electronic device and computer. So, the language barrier is almost non-existent today thanks to technology. This kind of thing is available to many people around the world so that learning a new language is almost a thing of the past. Yet, many people no longer witness to people who speak the same language where learning is not required? Are you witnessing to others who speak your language? Next week, we will continue with our examination in our next episode titled, The Holy Spirit and the Day of Pentecost, Part 2. We will examine Acts chapter 2, verse 6 with other verses. Verse 6 reads, When this sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. What is this confusion? Many American churches teach that confusion is of the devil. Join us next week to learn the answer to that question. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. Thank you all so much. God bless you all. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address, unchurchedsite 3, m e at present we are located on a growing number of podcast sites so you should be able to find us on a platform you like we refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on sundays these sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.